Well, it is great to be in a place like this where we worship God with all our hearts, and I hope that God has spoken into your life and uh, moved you closer to Him. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. We thank you for being here. If you've been here for uh, many, many years, we appreciate you being here as well to worship God. Of course, um, uh, we, uh, in this place at least, we celebrate the Chiefs win, right? Last Sunday, that was fun. There we go. There we go, though it was fun to um, text my son-in-law who lives in California and mention the fact that uh, they did not win, and so that was kind of enjoyable, but that was fun last Sunday. I want to invite you again tonight at uh, 5 p.m. We're having our soup and chili supper. We want you to come and just kind of enjoy being with us, um, celebrating together, and so that'll happen here tonight um, starting at 5 o'clock. I think it was 1994. It was my very first congregational meeting at a church that I served in Mexico, Missouri. Great church, um, really good people there. But it was my first experience with a congregational meeting in this church, and it, it, it didn't always go well. But I didn't know that until this first experience. So I'm kind of standing in the back while they're talking about things, and a gentleman by the name of Ron stands up, and in an extremely angry tone, he begins to complain about my salary. Okay, so this is many, many years ago. Um, that was a part of the discussion that they got to have. My salary was probably like $25,000, I don't know. But he was complaining about it because he was a mail carrier and he made less money than I did carrying mails. So he really probably wasn't complaining as much about my salary as about the fact that he didn't make as much money as he thought he should. But here I am, my first experience, I'm standing back there and I'm like, this is so unfair. I can't believe that someone has stood up in the middle of a big gathering like this and complains about my salary. I was so shocked. I didn't say anything, which was probably good, right? I had some things later on that came into my mind, but it was just like, it was the most frustrating experience to stand there and to think, I didn't know it was going to happen. It felt so unfair. I felt so attacked. It, it was not a fun experience at all. I have a feeling that some of you understand exactly what I was experiencing because you've come face to face with kind of being the crosshairs of someone else's frustration or someone else's attack and suddenly you, you're the one being attacked and you just happen to be standing there, right? You didn't do anything, nothing wrong happened and you just, you started being attacked by somebody else. If you've ever been in that place, you kind of understand this feeling of, that is so unfair, I can't believe that's happening to me. Or feeling like, I'd like to tell them what I think about things right now, right? A little bit seeking after revenge. So the question for us today is, how do you handle those kind of situations? When you come face to face to a, with a circumstance, family, at work, you know, in your neighborhood, somebody you thought was a great friend, and suddenly you're getting attacked, and you didn't know anything about it, you had nothing to do with it, and it feels so unfair, how is it that we handle these kind of situations? I mean, this is very important for us to consider, right? Um, for some of us, the way we react and respond to these kind of situations might have to do with our future livelihood, if it's the boss. Or it may have to do with the significant relationship, if it's somebody that you're married to, or you're their son or daughter. It may have to do with your Christian witness, the way you react and respond to these things. So how are we to react when life turns unfair against us? 
Well, we're in this series entitled, Who Are You Following? And we are all influenced by various people. Some of us have people in social media that we follow, that influence us, that are good to be able to follow. They help teach us various kinds of things. Others of us, maybe you don't follow social media, but you have people in your life that influence you, that have great significance in the choices maybe that you make. Um, what we want to consider is who are the people that are in God's word that can be an influence on us? Who, who are the kind of people that have gone through the circumstances and the situations that you and I face every single day, and what choices did they make? And so in this series, we're taking a look at David. Next week, we're going to talk about Joseph. But we've been talking the last couple of weeks about a guy by the name of Daniel. Now, last week, we learned that Daniel found himself hundreds of miles away from home. In fact, his home had been destroyed by the very people who drug him off into captivity. And even in the midst of being hundreds of miles away from anything he knew and loved, Daniel still knew that God was present. And so Daniel, what? He resolved. He made a decision to do things God's way because it was more important to Daniel to please God than it was to please anybody else, no matter what that mattered to him. So today, as we continue to look at Daniel, we're going to learn how did Daniel uh, react and respond to an unfair situation. And you're going to learn that it wasn't just unfair. I mean, his life was on the line, and he had nothing to do with this circumstance. But because of Daniel's view of God, because of how Daniel saw God, it didn't throw him when he was in this circumstance. And so I want to encourage you today to let God be the one that you turn to, who supports you, who helps you through the midst of things that just seem so very unfair in our life. This is really a mindset of a person, and this is where we're going this whole year, who focuses every single day on Jesus Christ, that we understand that God is the one that is in control. So here's the key for today, that when we understand God's presence, that our problems diminish in their impact. They don't go away. In fact, sometimes they can get worse, but the impact that they have on our lives when we see God and understand his presence literally changes everything. So if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. So there's Bibles in the seat underneath in front of you there if you want to grab one of those. And the page number is listed in your program, your notes there. Or if you want to pull out your um, iPhone, your tablet, and go to the to the uh, version Bible app and go to the events place there so that you can follow along. Daniel chapter 2. So let me catch you up a little bit. So Daniel, as I mentioned, he's far away from home. They, he and his friends and many others have been drug away into captivity. And so they're trying to figure out how you live life in a place where nobody else tends to believe about God at all. And so when we come to Daniel chapter 2, God has worked in his life, right? That when he resolved, God blessed Daniel in his life. But he's still in a little bit of obscurity in this chapter too. But we, we see him facing a problem that he's completely and totally unaware of. So here's Daniel 2 beginning in verse 1. Um, Daniel writes, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. 
So we met Nebuchadnezzar last week. He's king, but in Babylon, he's really viewed as a god. So what you learn is when you're a, a little G kind of a god, you still have trouble sleeping when problems come your way, right? Um, and so here Daniel uses this term. He said Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. So it's the plural. And so most commentators think it wasn't that he had multiple dreams, but he had the same dream over and over and over again, and it just bothered him so very much that he chooses to call in his experts. He wanted to know what this thing meant. And so he calls in his experts, and they respond to the king. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Of course, you got to butter him up, right? May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. But the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your helms turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now my question is, why, why wouldn't he tell the dream to these, this group of wise men. So how many of you are, are dreamers who remember your dream? Anybody out here dreamers? You remember your dreams. They're vivid, vivid, right? My wife remembers her dreams. In fact, she does stuff in the middle of her dreams. Any, any of you guys woken up to your wife being so ticked off at you and you didn't do anything at all, right? Now, my problem is I don't remember my dreams. It's a, it's a rarity that I remember my dreams. And so some commentators think, well, he just didn't remember his dream, right? And so that's why he tells them, I need you to tell me the dream. I don't really think that fits the story here. I think the problem is that his trust in these guys was very low. He didn't trust them at all. So they try again, and they try again because a lot is riding on it, you know, cut you into little pieces, turn your homes into rubble, right? So they try again, but Nebuchadnezzar's going to have none of it at all. And so finally, the experts say something that's extremely revealing about kind of their perspective of life. Look at verse 10. He says, the astrologers answered the king. He says, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or a chanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. I think it's interesting what they say here. I think a part of it is they're revealing the fact that they're frauds. Nobody can do this except gods. I don't think they just meant... <laughs> you know, tell you what the dream was. I think they meant interpret the dream. So I think something slipped out that they didn't really mean. But then they, what? They put the blame on the king. They blame him. No king has ever asked something that's so very difficult. But then do you notice what they says? No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men. Now, they meant little g gods. But in a sense, they were revealing something that was true, that it is only the real God, the true God, that we can learn about things in our lives and in our future. So what's Nebuchadnezzar do? He just clears house. Off with their heads, as the queen of hearts says, right? Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men. Now, I love rulers who do that, right? People are in charge. It's just not going to give this group 
everybody's going to lose their head, okay? Just a wholesale execution here. He says, um, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And that's important to realize, the wise men here. Because we're going to find out who's included in that, even though they weren't a part of this. Um, put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. What? That is so unfair. I mean, they're just minding their business, trying to figure out how to live in this foreign land. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. And suddenly somebody shows up in the door and says, come on, we're going to execute you. And it's like, what do you do in that kind of a situation? This is like guilt by association. Isn't that how a life works sometimes? I mean, you're just doing your very best, what you're supposed to do. Maybe you even think life's going well. And then suddenly somebody knocks on the door. Or you get a phone call. Or you get the pink slip in your box at work, you know, or it's the text message, and suddenly your heart goes from just beating normally to like beating out of your chest, and you had nothing to do with it. So how does Daniel handle this extremely unfair situation? I mean, this is really important for us to talk about. Now, the dream is astonishing, okay? And we'll talk a little bit about the dream, but what we're going to focus on in this, such, in, in this message is how does Daniel handle this? What does he do? What can we learn from him? Because we all face these kind of situations in our life. How do you handle the stress, especially the unfair stress of life? Are you more like Daniel or maybe you're a little bit more like this? Oh, I don't know. The Irish cream sounds good, huh? What's that? Uh, it's cream and it's, uh, it's Irish. Hurry up and order! Excuse me. Thank you. Um, how about a smoothie? What's in that? Smoothie's a juice drink. We want coffee. Buddy, relax. No, you relax. I'm a regular here. This line needs to move. I beg your pardon. Do you have scones? Tall, non-fat, double latte. Sir, you're at the back of the line. I recognize that. Cut it out or you're out of here. You can't kick me out. You know what? You're, you're really invading my ear space. Look, I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. Do you have a card? Do you have a card? No, I don't have Does a card. Does anyone here have a card? We don't have frequent drinker cards. That's a video club card. Ah! Zip it there, Sporty Spice. Are we doing this? Oh. Is this happening now? Yeah. Come on, Great. I'd Let's love do to. it. Let's do it. You're hurting me! You're hurting me! you, Derek? I thought we were friends. My name is Andy. Your name is Liar because you're telling lies. You know what the odds are? I will never come back here again. There's a good chance of that. That's a chance we'll have to take. Okay, if that's how you want to play it. Okay. I am disappointed. God! Fine! <clears throat> so let me mention, there's coffee just down the hallway. To the left, if you need some. So how, how, do, how do we react and respond? You know, as Phil kind of mentioned up here on stage, you know, sometimes we can panic or we can react in ways like that. When, when life turns unfair, what do we do? How do we handle it? So let's look at Daniel and see if there's some things that we can learn. The first thing is don't panic. Don't panic. When, when life turns unfair, when difficulties come our way, don't panic. So Daniel didn't panic. In fact, what Daniel did was Daniel asked some questions there. Look, look what he says in verse 14. 
So that it not comes to his door, you know, they're looking for him to put him to death. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and with tact. I'm not sure that that would describe how I sometimes react, right? And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. I mean, I like this. It's like he takes a deep breath, you know, wisdom and tact, and he asks the question. I mean, he's, he recognizes this is kind of outlandish here, but he wants to know why did he issue such a harsh decree? But he doesn't panic here. I mean, so when circumstances turn unfair, which again, it happens to all of us at different times in our life, I think people who really look to God, they don't panic. We can take a deep breath. We can live under this understanding of God who is in control. We realize that though God does allow us to go through some really difficult circumstances at times in our life, sometimes he lets that happen to us so that we can grow. Sometimes our faith needs to grow. Sometimes it's just the difficulties of life that come our way. But panicking is never going to help a situation. In fact, I think panicking and, you know, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, re they really don't mix at all. I mean, there's some people in this church that are good freak routers, right? I won't make you put your hand up or anything. Some of you have a gift of freaking out, right? Sometimes I have a gift of freaking out. And so it's obviously easier said than done, right? Just say, well, don't, don't panic when life gets difficult like that. But when we know who God is, when we have a growing understanding of who God is and his presence and his might and his work in our hearts and in our lives, the problems that come our way, they don't go away. But they don't overwhelm us. They don't overtake us in the midst of those situations. Um, I like what James encourages us to do, James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I think that's what Daniel did. He was quick to, to listen. He was slow to speak. So don't, don't panic. And Daniel didn't panic because he knew that God was even in Babylon even in a place that far away. So how does he handle the news? So verse 16, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put, or, yeah, when Arioch, sorry, my glasses aren't on this morning. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So he goes into the king, which is, in my mind, a double risk. So what had happened to the previous group of guys who went into the king and asked for more time? Yeah, right? They, they, they were going to be chopped up. He says, we're done with you. I think it shows the possibility of a relationship that maybe Daniel has with the king. Or at least Daniel, the king, views him in such a way. But, but think about the other risk. He doesn't know if he can even answer the problem. He doesn't even know what the dream was at this particular point. He doesn't know that God is going to give him the answer, but he's asking for time so that he can figure that out. So it's a huge risk for him. So step one, don't panic. Step two, involve trusted others. I mean, Daniel turned to some guys that 
he trusted very much. And some of that, is, I think, is probably due to the fact that they're far, far away from anything they know and love, and so you need those kind of people around us. But Daniel used his friends to make a difference here. So he begins in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So they got something at stake here too, but you've got to have friends. You've got to have trusted people in your life, especially those who have the same kind of view of God that you have and you share, an even greater view of God that can help you and encourage you. I mean, that's why our small groups are so critical, that you can build those kind of relationships with other people around you. I mean, that's why things even like tonight, coming to the, the soup and chili supper, I mean, there are people in this church that you don't know, but maybe God wants to have you build a relationship with them so it can encourage you. And that's why I like financial peace. I know many of you are going to do that over the next 200 weeks, right? No, it's only nine. I mean, that's why that's so, I mean, it's like we need to be together like this. But it's even more important that we step out of a bigger group and into a smaller group that we can help and encourage and do the kind of things that Daniel's friends did. So who's your trusted inner circle that can help you, that can challenge you, that can encourage you? So step two, don't try to handle it on your own. And then step three, we, we turn to God. This was a no-brainer for Daniel. Even though he wasn't in Israel, he was far away from his land, he knew God was there, that God was present. He knew that he needed to turn to God. And it, it is the intervention of God that Daniel knows will redeem whatever difficult situation he's facing in this situation here. So he... And these guys, they gather together, right, his small group. They begin to pray about this circumstance. And guess what happens? God comes through. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He disposes kings and raises them up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This is such great prayer he acknowledges that god is all powerful he acknowledges that god is all wise he praises god he thanks god for providing the answer so normally a prayer like this comes at the end right god's answered life's great you pray this prayer of praise at the end of the story but this prayer is in the middle of the story i mean Think about that for a moment. He's received the interpretation, but what in his external circumstances has changed? Nothing. He, he's still under sentence of death. He hasn't gone and tried to talk to Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't even know if Nebuchadnezzar will talk to him at this time. And even if he gets to go in and talk to Nebuchadnezzar, he has no idea whether he'll listen to him or he'll just make fun of him or just execute him on the spot. In other words, there are all kinds of possibilities to worry about. 
nothing has changed except for the understanding in Daniel's mind that this great God who rules over everything has provided the answer that he needs. He has spoken. Daniel knows who is driving the bus, and that's enough. So anybody out here got any kind of problems in your life, but you haven't got to the point where they've been solved or resolved or some kind of an answer? You know what we do in the middle of that? We praise God. We recognize that God is the one, even in the middle of our problems, that we worship and we honor. We worship you as we sang today. And we don't know even how it will turn out. I mean, for some of us, it could turn out to be something even more amazing and astonishing, even though that's sometimes impossible to see. For others, it may get even more difficult and more painful. We have no clue, but we know whose hands our lives is in. It is Almighty God. And so we gather together in the middle of our stories, and some of you are in some extremely painful stories right now. You have no idea how life's going to be. But we gather together and we worship and adore the God who holds times and seasons. And he lifts up kings and he disposes of kings. He is the one who is in control. So he praises God. But then he goes to the king, right? Daniel 2.26. Then Daniel, uh, let's see. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I know my life is about to end and the king says, um, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And I have the answer in my mind, you know what I'm going to say? Absolutely. Yes, sir. I can do that. I can give you that answer. But Daniel is more concerned about what God thinks than about how Nebuchadnezzar is going to react. I, I need to say that again. Daniel is more concerned about what God thinks than anything Nebuchadnezzar might do to him. We need, we need to hear that. We need to embed that in our lives. So verse 27, Daniel replied, No wise men, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he's asked about. Now, Daniel is in agreement with all those other guys, right? They said, nobody can do this. It's, it's not even possible. But verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel says, I'm just not that smart. I can't do that. It's not possible. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven. And Daniel wants Nebuchadnezzar to know that his God is not just the God of Israel, right? He is a God in heaven. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar is accustomed because, you know, basically by this time he rules the known world. He's accustomed to all these foreigners coming into his place and talking about their gods. And so what Daniel is revealing to him is this is not just the God of the Israelites. This is not just the God of Babylon. This is the God in heaven. This is not just the God of Daniel. This is the God of Nebuchadnezzar, even though maybe by this point Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know that. And he is the Lord of Jerusalem, and he's the Lord of Babylon. And he's the Lord of New York, and he's the Lord of 
Washington, D.C., and he's the Lord of Missouri, he's the Lord of St. Louis, he's the Lord of West County, he is the Lord wherever you are and whoever you're at, there is a God in heaven. Say that with me. There is a God in heaven. So what is it that has your anxiety today? What's the issue that you're wrestling with right now? What is it that seems so overwhelming in your life? You think, this is, this is impossible. What's at the heart of your anxiety this morning? What do you say? But there is a God in heaven. Because you know what that does? It lifts our eyes to the place that they need to be. Not on earth and what we have to face. It doesn't mean we just pretend like the problem is gone, right? But it changes the impact of the problem when we recognize that there is a God in heaven and he is the one that we worship. And so Daniel responds in a way that puts the focus where it belongs, on God. And that is such a crucial thing for us to realize. Now, I do want to talk a moment about the dream because the dream is astonishing. And even how God does this, he gives this dream about the future to a king that doesn't even believe in him. But basically the dream is there's this massive statue and it represents some nations that are going to rule over the next period of time. But then he says, at a certain point, there's going to be this rock that's cut out of the mountain, a rock not made by human hands, that's going to come and it's going to destroy the rest of the nation and it's going to establish a kingdom not made by human hands, but by God himself. And so here's what Daniel says, um, verses 44 and 45 of Daniel 2. Daniel is talking again to Nebuchadnezzar. He's explaining the meaning of the dream. He says, in the time of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, will set, it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. He's saying God's in control of everything even nations. But the words that he used, the rock cut out of a mountain, a kingdom that will endure forever, those words sound very familiar to the words that Jesus spoke right after Peter made the good confession where he says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the Savior of the world. And Jesus turns back to Peter and in Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock, the rock of the confession that Peter made, that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he is the Savior of the world. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, it was a picture of Jesus Christ cut out of the mountain by God, come to this earth that God had planned so far in advance and that he would come and he would establish a kingdom that would endure forever, the kingdom of the church that you and I are a part of. In other words, Daniel was wanting Nebuchadnezzar to know and us to know that his view of life was that God is in control of everything. There 
He is a God in heaven. And he's in control of the past and of the present and of the future. And when we understand the presence of God and when we see that and when we grow in our understanding of that presence, the problems that you and I face, they don't go away. Their consequences sometimes still stay around. But they radically change in their impact on our lives because of our understanding that there is a God in heaven. So what's a frustrating situation right now that you're trying to handle but is just not working out? Now, I, I would encourage you, write it down. Think about that. Reflect on it. I mean, be honest about it at least. And then we need to remind ourselves in the midst of that, where do we look? Corey Ten Boom summarized Daniel 2 very well when she said this. When you face an impossible challenge in life, if you look around, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look up, that's when we find rest. Because we focus on there is a God in heaven. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we thank you for the reminder of your goodness and your greatness over all things that we face in our life. Lord, that we get the privilege of being in a place and worshiping you and being reminded of you, you are, Lord, it's just, I mean, it's beyond my ability to fully comprehend that you want somebody like me in this place to worship you. We know it's because of Jesus Christ, that rock, Father, that we choose to build our lives upon. And we thank you that all the way back in Nebuchadnezzar's time, that you were in control, Lord. You're always in control. And so, Lord, I, I pray right now, Lord, for the things that we face in our life that are just overwhelming, that are painful, that we wish we could erase or change, Lord, we have no clue what it's going to look like, but we turn to you and we recognize you are a God most high. Lord, that you can work in whatever way. Help us to just surrender to you, Father, this day. In your most precious name we pray.